I love being part of a church where everyone is welcome. Whether you're students or little ones or senior citizens, we're all glad that you're here. We have some groups that are away from us today. We have a a group from our academy who is out in the desert enjoying God's nature out there. And then we have our Pathfinders who are camping with our conference camporee this weekend. So we pray for them and their safety and we miss them. If you've ever driven your kids to school, then you know that it's a rare occasion to have a quiet car. And this week we've had several late nights and I was blessed to have a quiet morning drive to school. Typically, where's Caroline? Caroline's here. Typically right now we get into the car and the first thing that the kids say is, I want my children's choir music which is great. Just up there with VBS music. But um, they, were, they were just kind of in a daze because they were kind of tired still. Driving along on Bryant Street and um, out of the blue I hear from the back, Daddy, who are you winning for? kind of jolts me and not quite sure what that meant. And so I ask, what do you mean? Who am I winning for? And we had this conversation again last night, actually, in the car. Who are you winning for? And this time he doesn't even stop, pause. He says, are you voted for Hillary Clinton (laughs) or Donald Trumpet? trying not to have the response that you guys are having. I say, try to have a political conversation with a four-year-old. It's great. Whether you're four or you're 94, it matters that we as Christians engage in our world. And my four-year-old, as best as his little mind can understand, is trying to understand his world. It's far too easy as Christians to buy into the hype that one political party's platform is more biblical than another. But can I challenge us as people of God this morning to embrace a lifestyle where we value people more than platforms? Where we honor a God that loves his beloved. That means we have to move beyond single issue voting It also means we can't stand by and be put on a spreadsheet into a certain voting block. The scriptures that I read tells me that God came to save all people. 
the young and the old, male, female, the poor. And I'm going to say this, and I know some of you are going to come to me afterwards, and that's okay, even the rich. But before you come to me later and say, how can you say that? Just remember that the top 1% of earners in this world make a whopping $32,400 a year. God is pro-people. Which means my plea for myself and for my church is that if we are going to be pro-anything, is that as Christians we are pro-consistent ethic of life which means that we fight hard to live a life that is congruent across the board with the teachings of Jesus. So what does that have to do with prayer? We are, in fact, in a series on prayer following the outline of Tim Keller's book. Part seven today, we move from studying what prayer is to the praxis, how we do prayer. If you're following along with this in the, in the book, then you know that there are three types of prayer that Tim Keller suggests. I'm gonna just highlight the first two and we'll talk about the third today. The first is the inward prayer. It's a prayer of intimacy with God, a prayer of self-examination and confession. It's a prayer that echoes the psalmist when they write, test me, Lord, and and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Search me and bring to light areas of growth and forgive me of my shortcomings. The second is the outward prayer. It's a prayer of supplication and intercession on behalf of the other, on behalf of the world that I live in. We try to do this as a church family when we are serious about our mission statement in loving God and loving people. And the one that we're going to look at today is the third prayer that Tim Keller talks about. It's the upward prayer. It's a prayer of praise and thanksgiving that focuses on God himself He calls it the prayer of awe. C.S. Lewis writes in his reflections on the psalm that when we experience anything great, we have this instinctive need to praise it to others, to get others to see it and experience it with us. If you have grandchildren, imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me that your grandchild draws something or out of Play-Doh or Legos, they, they create something. It's their very own 
masterpiece. They are so impressed that they want to go and, and, and show it to you. To be honest, it's a masterpiece that only grandparents can appreciate. But they know that you're safe. They may not understand it now, but one day you hope that they will recognize that the true masterpiece is not the drawing or the creation, but the one holding it. Your grandchild is in awe of the masterpiece, but you are in awe of your grandchild. Oh, to have the ability to be living a life where we sit in awe of our Creator. Through the years, as life happens to us, we lose our capacity to to wonder, to sit in awe, because busyness happens. Our ambitions get in our way. And as we sense, as we lose the sense of awe, in creeps anxiety and worry. Tim Keller suggests that our inordinate amount of anxiety results from our disordered priorities. And soon we find out that what we have left with our emotional energy is anxiety and we're just taxed. This week I asked several of you to share with me a little bit about what causes you to worry? What brings anxiety into your life? And apparently, I think it's because of the never-ending political cycle, we are anxious people. I don't normally get this much response, but I got over two pages worth of responses from some of you. Just want to share a little bit about what we're experiencing together. What causes me to be anxious, the basic daily things of life, when my to-do list is longer than the amount of time I have, meeting deadlines at a high level of competency, a lack of feeling safe, sense of losing control. This is one of my favorites anticipatory stress. You're anxious about being stressed in the future. It's great. Grades, finances, reputation. One father wrote, I worry about my daughter. Will she follow God? Will I do a good job of leading her in that direction? What type of person will she become? Will I see her in heaven? Definitely, I I fear for the safety of my kids, both physically and spiritually. Things that I cannot control, jobs, things happening at annual council, when my body fights against me, the shame and guilt of previous choices, 
safety of my friends and family. The second question I asked was, how do you find refuge? I Google applicable Bible texts and say quick prayers. I try to reframe the situation. I listen to religious music. I seek someone trustworthy. I take action. This is a good one. I avoid it. Coffee, quiet time, order, asking forgiveness and healing. Often I go to my parents for relief, but it doesn't really help. So I go to God and immediate peace comes. Over and over again, I hear from those that responded that they come and sit in the presence of God and listen and pray. You are part of a community of people that sit and pray to God. Because deep within us, we all long to recapture that sense of wonder, to marvel at the mystery of what God is. Because we've learned that attainment and fulfillment are not the same. We have lots of dreams. We have dreams of our careers, our positions, and possessions of romance. These are real goals, but all too often, we may attain them, but we still lack fulfillment. But as we pray, God invites us to first recognize that he alone is worthwhile worthy of pursuit, that he alone can fulfill us. He invites us to be in awe of him, to praise him. In times of unrest, insecurity and panic, we need people of peace. Every society needs what Max Lucado calls a quorum of people of peace. He says, we're called to be a people of peace in a society that freaks out. He says, let others go crazy. Let others watch the news and stay up at night. Let others have crippling anxiety with the elections coming up on Tuesday. We choose to be people of peace because we recognize that God alone is the source of true peace and is to be praised. As I read this chapter, I believe that this is the core of what Keller is trying to convey. No matter how much we suffer, no matter our doubts, no matter how angry we get, no matter how many times we ask in desperation, how long, Keller says that all prayer develops in the end into praise because it helps align our perspective 
with a good God. Everything finds its way, he says, to the doorstep of praise. It may take years, it may take decades, but sooner or later, prayers will arrive at hallelujah. This week was the CMA Awards. For those of you on the West Coast, that stands for Country Music Association Awards. I think that country music writers, songwriters, tell some of the best stories. And back, I think when I was in high school, there was a song released called Unanswered Prayers. It's a song about a man and his wife who years later goes back to his hometown and and they go to a football game together. And while they're there, they run into his old high school crush. It's the girl that when he was in high school, he prayed with God. He pleaded, he bargained with God saying, if I can be together with her, I will never ask for anything ever again. Some of you are chuckling. You've said those prayers. So years later, this husband and wife, they return to this high school and the the lyrics are about what he learns or what he recognizes there. She wasn't quite the angel that I remembered in my dreams. I could tell that time had changed me in her eyes too, it seemed. We tried to talk about the old days. There wasn't much we could recall. I guess the Lord knows what he's doing after all. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs. And just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Sometimes some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Keller suggests an outline of how to praise God by spending time in the prayer of awe. And he divides it into two parts. The first part he calls adoring God as we pray. Adoring God and and sharing with him about his perfections that are matchless and incomparable. Adoring God about the creator that he is, the maker, protector, sustainer, and ruler over all creation. So the first part in a prayer of awe is adoration. And then the second part is thanking God thanking him for the ways he gives and sustains our physical life and our spiritual life, for the way that he has been patient with us, ways that he has helped to change us and to break our habits and patterns of thought. The psalmist in Psalm 150 gives us a pattern of prayer this prayer of all, this Psalm 150 is the the last Psalm that we have in in the scriptures. I wanna invite you to turn with me. It's only six verses. And as the psalmist writes, he answers four questions. 
about praise, about thanking God. After 149 other psalms, this is the, the last one that he ends with. Four questions are where the Lord is to be praised, why is God to be praised, how he's supposed to be praised, and then who is supposed to praise God. So read with me. Psalm 150, starting in verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. God is supposed to be praised in the sanctuary. And the sanctuary might be talking about the four walls, but I think it's more than that when you combine it with in the heavens or in his mighty firmament. I think it's talking about praising God in heaven and on earth. Verse 2. Why is God to be praised? We praise God. We praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. It's pretty interesting as you study. When you look at acts of power and acts of exceeding greatness of how wonderful God is. In the Old Testament, it's grand. We see images of, of mountains upon mountains and thousands upon ten thousands when they talk about the exceeding greatness of God. But as we move to the New Testament, it's interesting that there's a shift. They still talk about mighty deeds and exceeding greatness, but when Jesus talks about them, he talks about little things. And he doesn't frame God as, as being the God of cedars of Lebanon, but of clothing flowers, taking care of the sparrow. He speaks to the individuals, the one sinner, the one sheep. Wonder, God's exceeding greatness is both lofty and mighty, but it's also specific to the human soul. So we continue on reading in verses 3 to, through 5. How is God to be praised? And I'm not a musician, but this has to do with music. You praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. You praise him with the harp and lyre. You praise him with a tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. You praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding symbols. There's so many ways to praise God. We can praise God in solitude and in the quiet and silence through prayer. And there's always time for that. But the psalmist here is writing about something far more grand. And I was studying, I, I, I was introduced to something that I didn't even know about that really helps with this passage. In verse three, we read about the trumpet. And the trumpets were instruments played by the priests, and so they start. 
And then in verse 4, they add the string instruments. The string instruments were, were played by the Levites, and they joined the priests. And then finally in verse 5, enter the symbols. Symbols that were instruments of the laity. And you can imagine as they're singing, the, the build as groups join in, and then it crescendos into all of God's people praising God. Which leads us to verse 6. Who is to praise the Lord? There's not very much wiggle room here. The psalmist is very clear. He says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. For most of us, prayer is not a 40-day retreat or even a two-hour session. But prayer is a conversation with God throughout the day. As we go to the grocery store, as we pick up our kids, as we wait for their countless prescriptions to be filled, as we step in and out of meetings, as we pause and we simply say, Father, thank you for being a good God. As you're driving through traffic, God, it's bad, but you're good. The global markets are unstable, but you, God, are my solid rock. You are good. My body is fighting against me, but you are the master healer. You are good. And because you are good, I have hope. And because the power of prayer doesn't depend on me that's praying, but you, God, that's listening, and God, you are good, I can have hope. God, I know that you're a God that only wants good for your children, and so I declare that you are good. And because you are my Father, I can just say, Thank you. That's what prayer of awe is. Just pausing to say thank you for the creator that loves you beyond measure. I have no doubt that the next couple of days are going to be pretty interesting. When we return in a week, we may or we may not have a president-elect in our country. But this much I know. Great is our Lord and most worthy to be praised. Amen. stand together as we sing our closing song. This is our God.
Father in heaven that wants nothing more than to be your Prince of Peace. And may you be agents of peace for him in your world this week. Amen. Amen.